0: Welcome to the Frankly Speaking Podcast, Friends of Europe's weekly broadcast on the topics of European and world affairs. Coming up this week.
1: So are you arguing then that, that um, you know, Turkish membership of NATO um, no longer acts as a
2: as a sort of restraint? What is that Turkey has, that Russia has always to deal with, the fact that Ru- Turkey it's a NATO country, it is protected by Article 5. So no way that Turkey will, uh, will abandon NATO.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of, of the Frankly Speaking podcast from Friends of Europe. In this podcast, we talk about uh, international politics and geostrategy. Uh, very much of it around the Ukraine war. We're delighted to have as our guest today, Vice Admiral Alexandros Diakopoulos, um, who has been National Security Advisor to the Prime Minister of Greece, and is now Managing Director for Development Cooperation and Humanitarian Affairs at the Greek Foreign Ministry. Uh, He's also the author um, of a very striking essay on Turkish uh, security policy, and in particular, the Blue Homeland uh, Maritime Strategy. And we'll be talking about that today. Um, so Alexandros, welcome, and uh, here to, uh, to discuss with us um, is my fellow senior fellow, uh, Chris Kremides-Courtney, uh, um, who is uh, a senior fellow of Friends of Europe in the Peace, Security, and Defense Programme. Um, Alexandros, um, what is it that Turkey's done in recent years to build up its naval power and develop this blue homeland maritime strategy Um, that concerns you, and why should Europeans be
2: worried about it? Thank you very much, Paul. I have to say it's a a pleasure for me, and thank you for inviting me. And it's a very good question, so let's go straight to that. Turkey, on the last 20 years, I could say, they have built and developed a very capable and formidable naval force. Uh, In a sense, they passed from what they call brown navy to a blue water navy, from brown water to blue water navy. And uh, it was based mainly, not only, but mainly on their indigenous capabilities. By building this uh, naval force, uh, they helped to build this, uh, you know, their armament industry and the one helped the other. Now, with the capabilities, Come the ambitions. Uh, Turkey, as uh, you might know or might not know, they they have designed and uh, built and developed a new corvette called Ada class or Milgen, which is Milgeni, the national ship, which is a stealth somehow corvette. And it was designed by Turks and built on their uh, shipyards. And they have four of them, and they're even building now for Pakistan. And they have a contract to build for Ukraine. And uh, based on this Milgem ship, they are about to build a new frigate. And uh, I think they have started the building of a new frigate. And in the future, they 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 have plans to build a destroyer based on the on the first ship. Now. Apart from that, they are buying and they are building, but they are German, German design, these uh, uh, independent propulsion submarines, uh, the type 214, 214 type, uh, six of them, race class, as they call them. And they also built uh, the, the amphibious assault ship, Anadolu, which initially, uh, the, the, it was planned to, to carry F-35. As you know, Turkey was kicked out of the F-35 program, and now they will carry uh, helicopters and the, uh, the naval uh, version of Bayraktar uh, UAVs. But this new navy and the UAVs have uh, increased, have multiplied Turkey's capabilities, and Turkey made, the, made use of these capabilities in every, all around its periphery. I mean, Turkey has been implicated in every major conflict or war. You see them in Syria, in a, 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 either directly or indirectly, or, you know, through mercenaries. I mean, in Libya, in Syria, in nagorno karabakh in Azerbaijan, in, in Iraq, so the problem with, uh, I think you asked about what they did and why this is a problem. Now, the problem with, uh, and we can discuss about it, with uh, this blue homeland or Mavimatan, is that if you see it on the map, if you can see it on the map, it's, a, it's, it's not an operational thing. It is a, it is a strategic uh, plan for control of the half of the Aegean and Eastern Mediterranean actually. So by controlling Eastern Mediterranean and half of the Aegean controls the sea lines of communication from the Black Sea as well as from the Suez Canal. And this has very serious strategic implications for Europe and for the West. You say it's not an
1: operational doctrine um, obviously, one question that, 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 that arises is to what extent um, does this reflect Turkish intentions and to what extent is it mostly political posturing uh, as a way for President Erdogan to satisfy his nationalist electorate uh, at home
2: ahead of next year's uh, elections? Yes, that's again a, a very good question and sometimes you cannot really discern. I mean, internal politics and foreign politics, uh, they intermingle. And there is always a, a very strong nationalistic electorate in Turkey. And I think out of the different ideologies that exist in Turkey, I mean, you can say that the common ground, what cuts across all these ideologies are first, the nationalism, rampant nationalism, and second, they seek for strategic autonomy, I mean, the autonomy of Turkey to do as she wants and pleases without uh, being linked or somehow having the West to tell her what to do and what are their limits, not being limited by its Western uh, affiliation and alliance. Now, have in mind, if you see the blue homeland again and the control, what gives the Turkey? Turkey has a, a big advantage vis-a-vis the countries in the Black Sea and the West, which is the control of the Straits. Now with the blue homeland, it can control, she can control half the Aegean. I mean, blue homeland crosses the Aegean on half, incorporating Greek islands. I mean, they don't mind about that. And then if you see it, it takes the big part or the northern part, but bigger than part of the Eastern Mediterranean. Now, if Turkey manages to impose blue homeland, as I said before, they can control the sea lines of communication. And this sea lines of communication is all the commerce that passes through the eastern Mediterranean. And because of the Suez Canal, this is a lot. And uh, even the energy resources that come, either they're passing by ship or they come by, by pipelines from the eastern Mediterranean. So that gives enormous leverage to Turkey vis-a-vis uh, Europe. I mean, Europe would be either having all the energy sources coming, oil or uh, natural gas from Russia or passing through Turkey to non-European uh, powers. And more than that, in addition to that, by controlling the Straits and controlling half of the Aegean, that means that, and having in mind that Turkey has a very, very uh, interesting and special relation with uh, Russia and the relation between Putin and Erdogan. Now, they would be controlling the passage of the Russian ships from the Black Sea, passing through the Aegean, and going to the Eastern Mediterranean to Syria, or even to Suez Canal. Because you have to understand that the Straits in the Aegean was like a safe with two keys. One key were the Straits, and the second key were the various islands around the Aegean, which were controlled by Greece. But having blue homeland, you have both keys to Turkey. And that gives again enormous leverage to Turkey, vis-a-vis Russia and vis-a-vis the West. Having in mind this whole strategy of strategic autonomy that means that Turkey then can play the one against the other or go to, <laughs> to the highest bidder. I mean, I have the control. Now do what I want or I will go to the other side. Well, let's
1: let's examine. Let's take this a bit further. You say Turkey is seeking strategic autonomy. Uh, you describe it in, in your writing as a, seeking to be a, a trans-regional power. And in, 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 in implicitly, that is autonomy from the West. Um, oh, okay. yes. But... How far do you think it's actually prepared to go? Um, Do you think it's prepared to expel the United States from the strategic angelic base or to to leave NATO completely or to leave NATO's military
2: command as France did under de Gaulle? Yes. I, I will start from the last. I don't believe that Turkey has any intention to leave NATO. NATO still is a very, in the past, not very distant past. I mean, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, NATO was the cornerstone of Turkey security. But still, NATO is very important for Turkey security. Turkey can play ball with Russia and have this competitive cooperation, as they call it or whatever, and can play ball with China, but having her back covered by Article 5 from NATO. Turkey can sit on the fence and play with one power or the other because they know that Article 5 protect them. They have very good relations with Russia now, but of course, there's not a lot of trust between them. What is that Turkey has that Russia has always to deal with? The fact that Turkey is is a NATO country and is protected by Article 5. So no way that Turkey will, uh, will abandon NATO. The thing is that in Turkey's mentality... And from the beginning, Turkey and Greece entered NATO 1952. And they entered in tandem as a single geopolitical space in the eyes of the alliance. The southeastern flank of NATO, if you like. Now, this is a single geopolitical space. Now, with Turkey's mentality of zero-sum game, they see international relations in a zero-sum mentality. Whatever the other side gains is a loss for them and vice versa. For example, the relations with the United States, they don't see them independently. They see that Greece now has a very strong and has deepened its relation with the United States, and they consider this as a loss for them. I don't believe that they are going to expel United States from Not now, at least, I mean, in the foreseeable future. But they're very much annoyed by the presence of the United States in uh, Alexandroupolis port, for example, in the northeastern part of Greece. Because they believe that the importance of Alexandrupolis subtracts importance from the Straits. And the presence of the United States in Greece means that Turkey is less uh, important to them. Now, having in mind their transactional mentality and their seeking of strategic autonomy, of course, they believe that as long as Greece, it, 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 Greece is important, increases for United States, that means in the serious uh, mentality that our importance decreases. And this is why they have a very aggressive, and I could say belligerent rhetoric, the last years uh, towards Greece. And they say very openly that it's not Greece. Greece is uh, is an organ of the United States. I mean. It's the West that wants to hurt us, and they put Greece as their uh, uh, plaything that uh, to do this.
1: So, are you arguing then that that um, you know Turkish membership of NATO um, no longer acts as a as a sort of restraint um, on Turkish behaviour the way it has done in the past? I mean, you know, after all. Uh, the, the Eastern Mediterranean is a NATO area of uh, area of responsibility. It comes under secure. Um, uh, it's not a, a, an exclusive uh, Turkish uh, area of responsibility. I mean, I've talked to French admirals who, who've sailed in the Cyprus channel between, the, the Syria channel between Cyprus and Syria. And, you know, they, they talked about how relations were fairly uh, uh, curt with the Turks, but they, they do it. Um, so, uh, you know, are you really saying that 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 NATO does not, um, NATO membership does not continue to constrain Turkey uh, when it comes to freedom of navigation in the East Mediterranean, the Suez Canal, and indeed the Aegean? Oh,
2: it's a huge question. Now, again, we are coming to the Blue Homeland, and I will add some things on that. First. Blue homeland, it's not alone. It has been completed by the Turkish agreement with the Libyan government of uh, Tripoli, Saras at the time. This called Turkish-Libyan Memorandum, which is a monstrosity in terms of, in the, uh, uh, of uh, the law of the seas. But it's okay, they have this agreement now, and they have registered it in the United Nations. Now, having The Turkish Libyan memorandum and Turkish foothold in Libya, and having the control of the blue homeland of the Eastern Mediterranean, what is the result? First of all, how long, if they manage to impose that, how long do you believe that Egypt can resist to Turkey? At some point, at least to Turkish thinking, Egypt, with all this geopolitical pressure on its north, will come to terms with Turkey. And in the end, it will be left only Israel cornered, literally cornered, if, if you see it on the map it's on the corner. And again, Israel won't be able to resist Turkey. That will give domination to Turkey in the Eastern Mediterranean. And these French admirals will <laughs> see that in order to go to, to Syria or to go to the Suez, they have to be in good terms with turkey because turkey controls the space over there at least this is their strategic thinking well um, you know
1: perhaps that's why um, you know it, it, the question of chicken and egg but you know the part of it, partly what what turkey is doing is a response to greece and cyprus and israel and egypt uh, ganging up as it were to exclude and isolate turkey from any access to uh, East Mediterranean offshore energy resources, isn't it? Turkey is, is excluded from the East Mediterranean Gas Forum, for example, which was really set up by everybody else except Turkey, um, and some would say against Turkey. You talked about where the blockade of Turkey might might be. You know, Turkey might, might uh, Egypt might not be able to resist Turkey's embrace. Um, but um, in fact, what's happening, as far as I can see, is there, is there is a rapprochement now between Turkey and Israel. So isn't that going to change the game again? Because uh, uh, now there's, that, that, that opens possibilities of you know, energy cooperation, perhaps a pipeline between uh, the Israeli gas field and Turkey that would uh, stand the East Mediterranean Gas Forum on its head.
2: Just asking. Oh, yes. But that, these are multiple questions. And I will do my best. Uh, maybe starting again from the from the end. Let's go to the relation about Turkey and Israel. Of course, there is a rapprochement. And Turkey tried to have a, the same rapprochement with uh, Egypt, with the Emirates, and with Saudi Arabia. But how did this play out? We don't know yet. Of course, Israel, Israel for Israel, the enemies now in the biggest, threat to its security is Iran. So they cannot afford to have many enemies. If they can mend fences with Turkey, they will do. And again, Israel, of course, for financial reasons, for economy reasons, they want to have it. It's a huge market, Turkey. Now to have uh, the, let's suppose that, okay, this rapprochement brings that as a result, that Israel will channel its energy resources Via Turkey to Europe, but this passes through uh, through Cyprus. It's not so easy. But if they manage to do, then we come to your first question: where with the Israel's energy resources and Eastern Mediterranean energy resources, all passing through Turkey, that makes uh, <laughs> Europe, which is always now they have the problem with Russia and they don't get enough. Uh, natural gas and the petroleum for Russia. And then they will have problem with Turkey or Turkey will have even more leverage towards, uh, towards uh, Europe. You said that it has been excluded. It's not exactly like that. As Turkey became stronger and stronger and more powerful, then the countries in the area, they started to, you know, it always happens like that in international relations. When we have a very, a very powerful player. The others are going together in order to face to him off. Uh, but all these trilateral Greece, Cyprus, and Egypt, Greece, Cyprus, and Israel, they're more or less talking shops. They don't have, they don't have the, the, the structure of an alliance. They're not the military alliances. Even East Med Gas Forum, Supposedly, this is what they said. We're open to everybody and we invite Turkey to come in. The thing is that Turkey, first, they don't uh, recognize Cyprus, so there is a problem. You cannot enter a club where you don't recognize one of its members. And the second, they say, okay, we accept Turkey and we wait Turkey to come in, but to be a member of the East Mest Gas Forum, they have to accept the UNCLOS, I mean, the law of the seas and that stuff, which is... Difficult for Turkey to accept, because (laughs) for many reasons that maybe we have explained, they don't accept. Just to, to finish that, the thing is regarding Egypt and Israel and even the Emirates, with the Arab Spring, Turkey thought they saw an opportunity, an opportunity to embrace Muslim Brotherhood. Because they believe that future is for them. At one point or the other, they will dominate the Middle East and Northern Africa, Muslim Brotherhood, and Turkey will be their privileged partner in the area. And that created the problem because with Egypt, and that created the problem with Israel, because Israel, of course, they have now better relations with Turkey, but they know very well how Turkey has helped and still has some Hamas uh, leaders in, the, in their soil.
1: And uh, Chris, you, you uh, obviously... Uh, You've been looking at this because you're both Greek and American, and uh, 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 you you live in Greece. Um, To what extent um, is, where where does the United States fit into this picture? Is is Blue Homeland a Turkish response to the ever-closer strategic relationship between the U.S. and Greece, or is the US and Greece ever closer strategic relationship, a response to Blue homeland and, uh, and Turkey's power?
0: Thank you, Paul. Uh, and, and great to be with you tonight, Alexadros. I think what we're seeing are the symptoms of a shift to a multipolar world. And I, I think Turkey looks at the global order becoming more multipolar. So, you know, they want, their strategic autonomy to better position themselves for greater advantage in this emerging multipolar system. We have multilateral organizations like NATO and the EU that are being stretched and challenged by these new dynamics, uh, as we're discussing. We have individual EU member states like Germany and blocks of states who want to make their own separate arrangements for this winter's energy crunch. Well, at the same time, we have these new minilateral blocks forming around the world. There's the Eastern Med Gas Forum that we just discussed. There's a new lithium alliance between Mexico, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. They want to form their own lithium OPEC for this very uh, critical commodity of the future. Uh, We have the US and a few Asian democracies considering their own chip alliance. You have Germany and South Korea forming their own metaverse pact. So I think the trend around the world has been toward decoupling from old trade partners insuring various industries and seeking new kinds of partnerships for the future. So I think more countries are feeling the gravitational pull of China as uh, the economic pull from China, while US influence has been waning. You have countries like India and Turkey and Brazil who want to chart their own path. You have, uh, you know, that Paris has been pushing the EU toward to embrace strategic autonomy, uh, which we also discussed. And I think for China, if I back out and look at China, You know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has really destabilized their Belt and Road initiative and their coal corridor into Europe. So now they're looking at Kazakhstan, Georgia, Azerbaijan and Turkey, uh, who are proposing a middle corridor to connect Asia and and Europe via Turkey. So it's not just it's not just gas and resources, but it's the entire uh, economic connection between Asia and Europe could run through Turkey if that goes through. So I think altogether, I think we're entering an era in it's. Um, you asked about the United States, but I think it's bigger than that. I think we're entering an era in which geopolitical blocks will split and form into new arrangements, and that will reshape what we call the global order. So I think for the next few years, it's going to feel more messy lateral than multilateral as we navigate this new landscape.
1: What Part of this uh, messy lateralism uh, is obviously Russia's setbacks and and the possibility that we'll be dealing with a much weaker Russia after this war. Um, And um, I wonder how you think that that will affect uh, the tug of war between Ankara and Moscow in the East Mediterranean and Africa and so on for influence. Chris, what's your thought?
0: Yeah, a a lot to cover there. I think Turkey has been in a balancing act between Moscow and the West. For years, and the war in Ukraine has made that even trickier. Uh, Turkey, you know, is a NATO member, which they're a beneficiary of the Western order, but they're also critical of it. They host NATO's landcom, but they also bought the Russian S-400 air defense system. They make aggressive overflights of Greek airspace. I've stood on islands and watched them fly over do that. But they also support NATO air policing in Poland. They supply their very effective Bayraktar drones to Ukraine, but they also haven't taken part in the Western sanctions against Russia. So, you know, there's a lot of this teetering on the on the fence, this balancing act. Turkey has, as and, and we've noticed, has been keen to be a mediator between Russia and Ukraine. And it's obvious that Erdogan wants to be the one to broker any post-war peace that follows this conflict. And, you know, it's already been reported in a few places that Mr. Putin would prefer him to be the the, uh, mediator, not the Americans, not Mr. Macron, not anyone else. So that tells us something. But I think, I mean, by all accounts, and especially recently, uh, Russia is likely to emerge from this war weakened and highly isolated. And we're already seeing signs that their influence in the South Caucasus and Central Asia are showing signs of fraying. So Turkey's influence in these regions seems poised to expand. So, you know, Russia's loss in Central Asia and South Caucasus becomes Turkey's game. Uh, Central Asia, as you know, has been the focus of Turkey's economic and foreign policy for years. They've increased economic links. Uh, They've taken a strong soft power approach to these Turkic nations. It seems that they wanna consolidate a Turkic sphere with a supranational identity. So I think, but the space I'm watching right now is Kazakhstan where there's, you know, Kazakhstan slowly breaking out of Moscow's grip um, Turkey has been courting Kazakhstan for years. I know this week, I think it's, uh, tomorrow or the next day, uh, Kazakhstan will be hosting the conference on interact, uh, on interaction and confidence building measures in Asia, the CISA, um, and Putin and Erdogan will both be there. They may speak, but you, it's also a bit like a, a date where they're both sort of coming to court Kazakhstan in a way during this next week. Um, I could talk about Syria and Africa, but I don't want to. I don't want to take up all the space. I need to leave some for uh, the uh, the admiral here. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now.
1: Thank you. Well, it's very interesting. What you're both describing uh, is a uh, is what a, a former British prime minister would have called cakeism. You know that Turkey is a country that wants to have its cake and eat it. Um, <laughs> and, you know that, uh, as you say that. Uh, Uh, If Russia's loss is Turkey's gain, then be careful what you wish for. Um, But uh, all all I would say is that from where I sit, it still seems to me that the biggest piece of of cake um, for Turkey is the relationship with the West, economically tremendously dependent on Western capital and uh, uh, Western markets uh, and uh, Western uh, suppliers and uh, Western technology. Um, and uh, even if its hopes of joining the European Union have clearly faded uh, very much, um, it's still economically tremendously integrated into Europe. Um, so I just wonder whether that doesn't uh, uh, ultimately put some sort of strategic handcuffs on Turkey, whatever naval capabilities and uh, national, nationalist ambitions uh, it may It may have. Uh, Admiral. I'm gonna give you the final word uh, since that
2: was my final word. Okay, uh, just very very few comments about that and what you said. Of course they have strategic uh, handcuffs and you're right about their dependency to the West. But the problem with Turkey is they don't see their relation with the West as a good thing per se. They see their relations with the West as a a limitating factor which they have to overcome. The reason they approached so much uh, Russia was to help them to gain strategic autonomy from the West. And by doing that, they became more dependent on Russia. The single thing that brought United States and Greece closer together, I believe, is their fateful decision, which strategically was a wrong decision, But, no, people take wrong decisions all the time Uh, to buy the S-400 and defy the United States, although they have been warned about it. Now, uh, what about Chris said? Chris said that uh, 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 Russia is losing influence in Central Asia, and that's Turkey's game. It is up to an extent. Mostly, I'm afraid, but this is another sort of question we can have it someday, it's China's game. Because China has the resources and the power. To be the new master in the area, and I think the countries of the area are looking. I started looking in a country not in China. Now, how Turkey wants to manage, and I'm finishing with that. Its relation with the West doesn't want to cut off from the West. It wants to become powerful enough to impose its terms on the West to continue this relation, but its own terms. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Alexandros Diakopoulos. Thanks
1: for a great conversation this week. Uh, if you want to read more of his analysis, uh, there's a, a written version of it on the Friends of Europe website, on the Frankly Speaking uh, uh That's uh, it for uh, this website. Frankly Speaking podcast. And, uh, there's
0: Consider a longer subscribing version of, uh, of it We're on the website on Twitter, of the Instagram, Greek, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Haley, or I'm Facebook. And don't forget to tune in again this time next week.